Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. So we have been in a series um, over the last couple of weeks. We've entitled it A Sour Subject. And we've talked about some of the issues that maybe we don't talk about in church or maybe we don't talk enough about them in church as well. And so sometimes it makes us a little squirmy or should we really talk about that kind of stuff in church? And we realize the way that culture is moving and uh, where the church needs to minister and, and how it needs to minister is so very important that we need to know uh, about that more. And so we've taken on some of those subjects. And so Two weeks ago, uh, Debbie and I were away, and Caitlin uh, and Bailey did a great job, as, as well as Brenda Newport was here from the Women's Care Center. And we took on this idea of the right to life issue, and obviously some of the big things that have happened through the Supreme Court, and where the church stands on the right to life, and, and, and you know, that, that issue. And, and, and obviously that's nothing new for us, but we were able to bring, I think, a, a, a fresh picture about about where we as believers should be and, and what's happening along those lines and those issues here. And so this is really going to be, we called that Live and Let Live, um, was, was the kind of title for that Sunday. And today, uh, this is going to be Live and Let Live Part 2. Because here's kind of where my heart is on the issue of certainly abortion or right to life, uh, that uh, in, in the big grand scale that we are for life. Amen? And, and I think that there are uh, nuances that a lot of people have talked about. Well, pastor, what about in this case, in this case, in this case? And obviously there could be hundreds of different cases, and I just honestly look at them and I say, I am for life. But, you know, they talk about, well, what about in the case of incest or rape or, again, all of these kind of things. And so let me just talk to you personal opinion for just a moment, that I have this sense in my heart to say, you know, no matter how a child comes into the world, it wasn't the child's fault, right? It wasn't the child's doing. And so I get, and again, so we said kind of on week one, some of the things that I might say might make you angry, or you might disagree with me, or get you upset, or whatever, so we're, I'm fine with that today. But I know that in my own life, no matter how a child comes into life, that life is precious, right? Unfortunately, I think why we want to talk about part two is because the church gets really fired up, I believe generally, about the issue of abortion and the right to life. But I have this sense is that that's where it stops for the church as well. That we're all for the right to life, but we realize that many of these babies are coming into a really difficult, if not horrible, situation, right? And the fact that why they might even be facing an abortion issue. And I think that the church in many ways has grown silent on what happens to these children that are born or given away or put in the foster program if at, at all hopes, maybe a best case scenario away from abortion. That I believe that part two for us of live and let live is that the church, and can I be more specific today, that our church, as you have seen today, so wonderfully and proudly have taken the next step 
in so many ways, but I believe there is still more steps for us to take as our church on this issue. That, that we have to be responsible for life as well. And so a couple of maybe weeks ago, a couple of months ago at this point, Amy invited me to a conglomerate of some leaders down at the downtown library, and we met Vince Smith. And he comes with such a, a dynamic uh, directive and opportunity to help in this process um, of what we're talking about today and kind of this part two. So Vince is the executive director of the Pennsylvania Orphan Care Alliance. Vince has been a pastor for a long, long time, and that as this issue has grown in their heart and their family in such a big way, he's been able to walk away from that to be able to spend full time into helping every county in Pennsylvania help to understand the need in the foster care system and something that the believer or something that the church can do about it. And it just kind of resonated with me. I don't get to too many meetings like that. Um, and there were a lot of kind of health and social service people there, as well as some pastors and faith leaders. And I was just kind of taken back as I began to hear some of the work that is going on, that needs to go on, based on some of the statistics that are in Pennsylvania today. And I just felt like we've got to do something more about that. And I asked Vince, would you be willing to come back to Erie and talk to real life and he said, I'm actually going to be on vacation that week. We're going to be in Maine. And I thought, ugh, I'm going to lose this opportunity. And he said, well, let me see. Maybe we can arrange our plans. I'll talk to my wife. So from Bar Harbor, Maine, yesterday, all the way to Erie, Pennsylvania, this family drove so that they could be with us today. And we also have some other special guests that I'll mention, but Vince is going to introduce them in just a minute. Jess Peterson is a longtime uh, Erie resident uh, that has just uh, taken on a new position along with Vince, but has been an advocate for the foster system here in Erie for a long time. And then Allie Peters as well is new, at least in this part of leadership, and an introduction for us today to help us understand there is something more that the church and there is something more that this church can do. I believe that with my whole heart. So Vince gave us these statistics, and I'm sure that he might share a little bit more about this. But in Pennsylvania, so what, what really I think his message to us is today is that there is a link between the faith community, the church, and the need of children right here in our own state. There are 14,000 kids in the system does anyone want to give a guess how many churches there are in Pennsylvania? 14,000. These statistics are going to blow your mind to realize the, the connection that there is that the church can be to these lost kids. I want you to know we've got to do more than just pray, church. We've got to do more than even just do a track camp once a year. We've got to have people and families that are willing to open up their home, open up their lives, open up their hearts for kids that could have been aborted, that could be runaways, that could be lost in the world and find all kinds of horror that could happen to their life. Or we could step into the midst of that mess and to say, with God's help, we're going to help them to have a, a massive change and a hope and a future in their life. And that's what Vince is all about. He speaks with passion. He speaks with experience. They have uh, their own children but have been multiple foster 
parents and have adopted some of those kids. I, I joked with Jess as she came in. When you start meeting our, our our kids' ministry, I think, quadrupled today just by three families that came here today. These foster people are crazy for kids, and they come in, and, uh, and they want to share this passion and hope. So I want you to give a big real-life welcome to Vince Smith, and as he introduces this program and a team to you. Vince, God bless you. Thank you for being in Erie today and being a part of the story of real life today, my friend. Thank God you. bless you, buddy. Thanks. Thank you for allowing us to be there here, and I feel like you guys have already uh, preached to me this morning. 32, I think I counted up here, of you that are going to be giving your life and your time to serve kids uh, from hard places. And from what I know, nothing can go wrong when you do a foster camp. <laughs> They're all well-behaved children. If... I didn't actually check on this with you, Jim. Did you get my email? It, okay, there's a, there should be a picture of my family, hopefully, we can throw up on the screen here. Just want to introduce really quickly, uh, my wife and I have been married uh, almost 28 years. We've been foster parents for 14 years. We've had 23 children in our home. Uh, three of them, we just didn't let go. We, we always tell them they are the chosen ones. <laughs> But our, our children range in age from uh, 26 down to 8. We graduated college and started kindergarten in the same year. Uh, their names are Kara, Katie, Carly, Kaylin, Callie, and Caden. So we uh, are thrilled that uh, they give us the opportunity to test all the fruits of the Spirit often. You know, as soon as children are old enough to speak, one of the first questions that we start to ask them is, how big are you? And children always give the same answer. What's the answer? I'm so big. And we often teach them to throw their arms up in the air. And we, we do this because we want them to know that they're growing into be something, that they're not weak and um, they're becoming strong. But today I want to ask us a more important question. I want to ask how big is your God? How big is Christ in your life? We're going to talk about that for a little while, and then I'm just going to do a little bit of storytelling and a little bit of inviting. We, the, the worship team hung on uh, a few lines this morning, those lines that said, can, I, I'm going to get them wrong here, but it was like joy, I consider it joy when the battle comes my way. We're going to ask, it's easier to sing, do you really mean it? How big is your God? Because I strongly believe that the way we live is a consequence of the size of our God. And the problem that many Christians have today is their God is too small. And when we wake up in the morning with a small God, then we're going to live in this constant state of fear and with anxiety because everything kind of depends on us. It's our mood. Our mood's going to be governed by our circumstances if our God is too small. And when we have the chance to do something courageous for God, we often will shrink back as if... We're afraid to be rejected, or if we fail because we think, again, it depends on us. And when human beings start to shrink God, they're going to start offering prayer without faith. It's going to be work without passion. It's going to be service without joy, suffering without hope. And it will result in fear and retreat and a loss of vision and a failure to persevere. And we need Christ followers that are not going to live that way. I just think it's a great time to create some God stories, to do something that's worth writing home about. God created each and every one of you for an absolute purpose, and God has a no-coasting plan for your life. And that's what I want to talk about today is this no-coasting plan. God has 
he's a great big God, and when we keep that in perspective, we're going to lean into things that are way beyond us as he invites us into them. I'm going to particularly challenge you, obviously, this morning on God's behalf uh, on the needs of orphans and vulnerable children in our state. I'm going to do that by reading in 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 14, starting with verse 1. It said, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistines uh, to where the Philistines have their outposts. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Boses and Senna. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. And then he said, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we're going to cross over and we're going to let them see us. If they say come to us, or, or if they say stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we're going to stop and, we're, and we'll not go up to them. But if they say come on up and fight, then we're going to go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we're going to teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Great bedtime story for your kids. <laughs> Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outpost and the raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Then Saul and his armor, uh, and, and then Saul and his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth Haven. God has a no-coasting plan for our lives. I am a farmer. I have a degree in animal science. Um, I worked in that field right out of uh, college for a little while. When I was uh, on a farm in York, we had 600 cows, 1,600 acres that we were taking. One day, we were out moving a group of about 60 cows. And uh, as we were doing that, my uh, boss was in a pickup beside me, and I was in another pickup, and he had a cow that slipped behind him. And so he parked his truck on top of this hill uh, to go get this cow and move it back with the rest of the group. Well, he thought his pickup was okay, but he didn't put it, he left it in neutral. So I'm about 100 yards away from him, and as I see him starting to chase the cow, I see his pickup beginning to go down the hill. And then I see him starting to run after it as if he's going to save this thing. It is flying. It's probably going about 40 miles an hour, headed straight for a ravine where it ended up hitting uh, eight strands of high tensile fence, which took out about six fence posts, thankfully not going over the ravine. But I love to tell stories like that. I've got lots of them. I can tell you all day about bad things happen to good people who leave it in neutral. It's just not a good idea in your vehicle, and it's not a good idea in life. If you don't have it in gear today, I just want to encourage you to make the shift. 
to hit the clutch, make the shift. Learn some things from Jonathan and his armor bearer about stirring up some God stories. The Bible is filled with mentors, several hundred of them. Some of them are great mentors. Some of them are bad mentors. We can learn from all of them. So today, we're going to learn something from Saul, and we're going to learn something from pomegranate tree. And he has a son that realizes he can't tell his dad what his plan was to put it in gear. Why? Because if he tells his dad, then his dad's going to encourage him to play it safe. See, Saul wasn't playing to win. He was just playing not to lose. It was Henry David Thoreau who said, Most men live lives of quiet desperation, and they go to the grave with a song in them. Saul focused way too much on not doing anything wrong. See, playing it safe was his plan. He tried to preserve his kingdom rather than making God's kingdom great. And I'm not convinced that the greatest tragedy is the things that we do wrong. It was Albert Schweitzer who said, the tragedy of life is what dies inside a man while he lives. I think so many of us are playing it safe so we don't lose instead of playing to win. Again, what we see in this story is Israel is held at bay by a battalion of these Philistines that control this pass at Michmash. And the leader of Israel is sitting under a pomegranate tree doing nothing. He's kicking back with a cluster of grapes. He was afraid. He didn't have his eyes on the maker of the mountains. He had his eyes on the mountains. So he wasn't playing to win. He was just playing not to lose. Instead of fighting on the side uh, front lines, he's sitting on the sidelines. And this wasn't an isolated incident for Saul. A few chapters later, we see that the Philistines, again, are on one side of the valley, and the Israelites are on the, another side, and Goliath comes out for 40 days, and he challenges somebody to come down and fight him. Again, why Saul sits on the sidelines doing nothing. Until David shows up, and David, this little... Shepherd boy says, I'll go fight him. And Saul tries to talk him out of it. But David has his eyes on the maker of the mountains. The interesting thing about this story is that the Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders taller than any other Israelite. So the only Israelite who's large enough to go fight a giant like Goliath is cowering in fear on the sidelines. He was a do-nothing kind of guy. And we know that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being certain of what we do not see. See, faith starts where sight runs out. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we see the mountain mover, not the mountains. In Hebrews to God in 6, it tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that he exists, and they... They must believe that he rewards those who look to him. So Saul is a guy we don't want to learn what not to do from. Jonathan, on the other hand, is a guy that's getting this verse right. He believes that God exists, and he believes that God will reward those who earnestly seek him. Faith can only happen when we become a liver of life, not a sideliner. It's an action. It's something we do, and I love what I'm already hearing as I see what your church is doing, engaging on so many issues. Jonathan understood this. He was seeking God. He believed he existed. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 3 there, it says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. 
See, Jonathan was tired of sitting and waiting for things to happen. He wanted some action. So it said in verse 4 that in order to reach the Philistine outpost, they had to go down between two rocky cliffs, the cliff on the north and the cliff on the south. And he said, let's go across to the outpost of these pagans. And he says to his armor bearer, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. There's faith written all over these words of Jonathan's. And I love the armor bearer's response. Verse 7, he says, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. This guy, man, I love this guy. We, not, not all of us can be Jonathan's, but we can all be an armor bearer. We need somebody to go with us that's going to pray for us, even if we have the craziest of ideas. They're going to, they're going to say, I'm with you no matter what. I'm going to go take the city of Erie with you no matter what. They pray for us. They believe in us. They encourage us. They fight for us for the kingdom. We may even make decisions that are questionable, but they're willing to give it a shot with us either way. And again, they don't all this can be Jonathan's. Not all of us should be Jonathan's, but we can choose to get in on the action. In fact, we must choose to get in on the action if we want to please God. Matthew 25, verse 24, Jesus tells a parable of the talents. He said, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I, I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. He's living in neutral. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, neutral living by Jesus was defined as wicked. There was a strong reaction from the master. But proactive waiting, on the other hand, puts it in gear. It's a kind of action that is looking for opportunities to join Jesus in his work. Most people spend their entire lives waiting for something for, to happen, for something to come along. And sometimes what we call waiting on God really is just a lack of faith. It's sitting under a pomegranate tree while we should be out stirring up some battles. It's burying our talents while we should be out investing them, taking some risks. As I've taught over the years as a pastor for 25 years, I've had a lot of people that have come up to me and said, you know, I felt like God was calling me to do this thing, and so I'm going to pray about it. And two years later, I'll talk to them, and they're still praying about it. Over the years, I've talked to a lot of people in ministry who felt like God was calling them to go into missions somewhere, to go do something that was going to cost them something, but they told their mom and dad about their plan, and their mom and dad talked them out of it because their mom and dad were coasters. Sometimes I hear people say, I feel like I should have shared my faith or gotten in a life group, so I'm going to pray about it. Friends, that is not active waiting. 
Sometimes we need to stop praying and start obeying and pray as we go because God's going to show us what he wants to do as we go out on a perhaps. You, you may have been invited by a Jonathan into a battle where perhaps God would show up, but you respectfully declined and you joined Saul. And sometimes you're couching that decline in spiritual terms. You're saying, I need to pray about it. And if that's you today, I just want to say, stop it. The world needs you to show up. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you, you need to obey. I'm going to go so far as to say that's your stewardship responsibility. I can't steward it. Your pastor can't steward that responsibility for you. If you heard a whisper from God, you need to obey it. Move out on it perhaps, even if it's a mustard seed kind of faith. In James chapter 2, it said, Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it isn't accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show your faith by, what I do, or by my deeds. You know, we know this. God-given opportunities often are disguised as dead ends. And how we react when we come to the end is going to determine our destiny. We can cower in fear, and we can run away from the greatest challenges, or we can chase our God-ordained destiny and our God-ordained opportunities. Today, if there is a whisper from God on your life, that idea, that invitation, that is your opportunity. And I might go so far again as saying it's your stewardship responsibility. And sure, it may be a crazy idea, but that's where God seems to specialize. Proactive waiting is starting towards the Philistine army and waiting for God's response. You probably heard Jim Elliott's quote, it's hard to steer a parked car. Get moving and God's going to show you where to go while you're on the move. Sometimes the smallest step in the right direction may seem like the biggest step of your life. Tiptoe if you must, but take the step. George Bernard Shaw who said, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want. If they can't find them, they create them. You know, the plan, this plan of Jonathan's, I love this plan. You know why I love this plan? Because it's a terrible plan. It is so bad. Who, who says, like, let's go out in the middle of the day and walk across the, the you know, valley and open daylight and let the other army see us? I think I probably would have been saying, like, hey, if, if they start falling off the cliff, that might be our sign that we're supposed to go up. Or let's go in the middle of the night when they're all in their tents and, and do a sneak attack. His plan is terrible. It makes no military sense. Not only are they outnumbered, but they're going to give up the high ground. And the Philistines taunt them, and they say, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes there where they were hiding. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up. The Bible says that they're using both hands and feet to climb. But Jonathan's modus operandi is perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So they climb using both hands and feet. Now, I haven't been in a lot of sword fights outside of the Nerf sword fight with my eight-year-old. But I'm, I'm guessing that a sword fight is going to require some strength in your arms. Not something you want to do after you've just climbed a cliff. But they climb it. It triggers, they, they begin to defeat the Philistines. It triggers a panic in the camp. 
And the Bible tells us that the Lord saved Israel that day. Please don't miss this. The course of Israel's history was changed by one man with the right mindset that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. What if Jonathan had sat on the sidelines like the rest of the Israelites? If Jonathan hadn't done anything, then nothing would have happened. Some of you are here today to just hear that. You might have been looking for something deeper. But it's simple enough to just get off the sidelines, to do something. Because if you don't do something, then nothing will happen. God wants to do something through you. And when you take a step, you could very well save a family, you could save a child, you could save a community, a church, a nation. And again, I love this story so much because it's so much about what God did with one guy's faith willing to get off of the sidelines. It says that God sent an earthquake and everyone was terrified. I haven't experienced a lot of earthquakes in my life, but there have been times when I've seen God do some pretty supernatural stuff. As I already told you, I'm a guy with an animal science background. I'm a cowboy. God clearly called me into ministry. In 1997, my wife and I were um, work. I was working as a herdsman on that farm. We were working with a youth group in our local church, and we felt like God was calling us in to do something more with children that were in vulnerable places. And we were going to, I and cows together. My wife was always like, really bad idea, Vince. <laughs> So, so we agreed to pray for 30-plus days together, and on April 1st, 1997, we were going to make a decision about what next steps look like for us. And uh, on April 1st, we woke up in the morning. My wife looked at me, and she said, Vince, why don't you think about going into youth ministry? I'm like, no way. Like, those guys are just overgrown kids. My wife, or my mom called me later in the day, and she says, Vince, why don't you think about going into youth ministry? And they had not talked. I'm like, all right, now the two most important women in my life are saying the same thing. An hour or two later, my best friend from high school I hadn't talked to for a long time needed to talk because he had some issues going on in his life, and he asked what was going on in mine, and I said, hey, we're trying to make some decisions. He says to me, hey, Vince, our youth pastor just resigned from our church, and they want to hire somebody that doesn't have a Bible college degree. I'm a little slow, but on April 1st, 1997... I felt like there was an earthquake. And so we entered ministry, and God had some growing up to do in us as we ended up in Iowa a few months later as the youth pastors of that church. And then before long, um, we ended up back in State College uh, as a youth pastor of the church that I had been a part of as a student at Penn State. Again, long story short, I ended up becoming the lead pastor at the church after a handful of years. And it was a 50-year-old church that needed to, to do some changing so that we could be more intentional about serving and externally focused in our community. And 50-year-old church with no adult that had ever gone on a mission trip. They all said, agreed that it would be a really good idea if, if we did. They were sending money for missions. But, and as I encouraged people to do that, nobody was taking the next step. And I started to realize that if it's going to happen, um, Vince, it's gonna, you're going to have to take the next step. So I started to pray about that, and within one week of that prayer, I got an invitation from a friend to go to Zambia. He asked if I would come help start a piggery in Zambia. So now God's using my animal science degree to go, go to Zambia. My wife and I went to Zambia in 2006 for the first time, and as we were in Zambia, God began to break our hearts for what at the time was a population of 10, uh, 10 uh, sorry, a million orphans, 10% of the population. 
because of the HIV AIDS pandemic, we would have brought some children home with us at that point if we could have. But God used that trip for me to come back in the small church that I was pastoring, allowed me to start to tell the story of the needs of orphans in Zambia. We shared that story through a, a vacation Bible school at our church. There was 40 kids that summer who raised $800. We sent that $800 to our friend in Zambia who used the money to sponsor three children in an existing orphan school. And then he sent me profiles of 15 more children, 15 children who were not going to school, who were not eating food every day, who didn't have health care, who didn't have an education. And I shared those profiles with my small church, and within a, a couple of weeks, all 15 of those children were being sponsored by a family in the church. He sent me 15 more profiles, and before I knew it, we had 46 children being sponsored by our small church of 100 people. And then he sent me an email. I said, Vince, I'm going to start a, church, a, a school called State College Christian Church School for the Orphans. And while we were flattered, we said, probably not a great name for a school in Zambia. So we asked them to rename it, and they did, and they called the school Haven of Hope. And within a, a couple of years, 30% of the population of our church had been on a mission trip. They got to meet their sponsored child. And those sponsored children, three of them have just recently graduated. One of them became a nurse because her sponsor was a nurse. One of them ended up becoming a pastor because his sponsor was a pastor. We just got to watch God rewrite the story of these kids. Now, Haven of Hope has since grown to two schools in Zambia and a school in Uganda for orphans with more than 350 children being sponsored by several churches um, around the state. With a year later, I got an invitation to go back to Zambia. My friend said, hey, Vince, would you come over and train some pastors? Did I tell you I have a degree in animal science? And I thought, he had been hanging out with about 30 pastors, and I thought, I can go over and share some leadership principles that I've learned, but I'm definitely not the guy to train pastors. And so I emailed him, I said, I said, sure, how many pastors are we talking about? What do you want the theme of the, the, the time together to be? He sent me an email back, he said, Vince, there's going to be 500 pastors, and we want the theme to be in Nehemiah 2.17, a time to rebuild. So 500 pastors, you absolutely have the wrong guy. I am an animal science guy. So but here's the deal. I had just finished reading a book uh, called Visioneering by Andy Stanley that was based on the book of Nehemiah. And I thought to myself, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do this. And I thought, what if I just email Andy Stanley's ministry and say, um, would you be willing to help us with 500 books, you know, at a really reduced cost? And they emailed back and they said, we don't do this often, but we've looked at your ministry and we're going to drop ship you 500 books to be used in Africa. I had uh, kind of another different God story. Becky Tirabasi was a speaker and an author of the book, The Burning Heart Contract, and she learned we were going to train pastors and she also said, hey, I'm just going to give you 100 books. You can use them as you want to over there. Long story short, we got it over there. We ended up training 600 pastors in two different cities, and God had provided 600 books so that every one of those pastors could have, have a book. And we just really, I mean, again, I don't know what God did, but we know that God used those uh, 
pastor's trainings in two different cities to rewrite stories. We know because a couple years later, my wife and I were there delivering uh, gifts on the streets of Indola, uh, Zambia. We were delivering gifts to the sponsored children. And while we were on the street, this guy comes running over and saying, Pastor Vince, Pastor Vince, you aren't going to remember me. I was one of their pastors. It was at the training in Mpiko, which was eight hours away from where we were. He says, I just want you to know, we're still using that book to help lead us, lead our churches. And before you guys came to do that training, our churches were competing with one another. And that, that training unified us. And we're working together. And God has rewritten the story in Mpika, Zambia. And again, I just look at that and said, those are earthquake kind of things. Those are only things that could have happened on a perhaps because, honestly, I was scared to death to go do what God was asking us to do. Another part of that story was we're halfway through the trip and had a team of 17 with us and everybody was tired and they were getting a little irritated with each other and we had to have one of these kind of come to Jesus moments in the middle of the trip like, hey, are we all doing okay? And the next morning we went out and we took a hike up a mountain and there was these, um, a couple of Zambians that they had come out of the bushes with a Bible that was just like half the Bible had been ripped, ripped and, and they found it in the bushes. And one of our team was able to walk up to these two guys and said, hey, do you guys know what the Bible says? Have you read it before? And these guys said no. And so right there on the top of this mountain, a couple of our team was able to explain the gospel to these guys. And before we left, they were baptized um, there in the waters with monkeys in the background. And, you know, it was just one of these, like, only God kind of stories that if I would have sat at home under a pomegranate tree, it just would have been a different story. As a pastor at State College Christian Church, I'm meeting with 13 other pastors on a weekly basis. We're praying together. And at some point, some of the pastors started to say, hey, what if we did something more intentionally to serve our community together? So it's fertile soil for me to be able to look at them and say, what if we started an orphan care ministry? And they immediately all agreed that churches should be serving orphans and vulnerable children. And, and those pastors said, absolutely. So I looked at them and I said, okay, would you be willing to find a representative from your church that's willing to get together with other representatives here in State College in our community? And we'll start working together on this area of orphan care. And eight of those pastors were able to find a representative. We started to meet together. Within a couple of months, we officially became the Center County Orphan Care Alliance. I was on an elevator ride with one of our children and youth services workers shortly after that. And I said to her, how can we as the church in Center County serve your agency? And she looked back at me and she said, you guys are the church. You're going to do one event and we won't hear from you again. I said, ouch. The church needs to rewrite the story. Thankfully, a year and a half later, the church in Center County had become the number one recruiter of foster and adoptive homes. Three years later, the county realized that we weren't going away, and they asked if they could start to attend our meetings, and we're so thankful that God's allowed us to have a great relationship with them, where they've now been at the table every time we have a meeting. And we're able to, to kind of just be this bridge between the church and the government agencies. And we've watched the church rewrite the story in Center County. But after we've, we're in it for about four or five years, we started to realize that the dropout rate was just about as high as the recruitment rate. And we've since learned that 90% of foster families drop out before they reach the two-year mark. If you've ever known a family or if you've worked with children uh, in foster care, they're coming from trauma. 
And when you invite that into your house, I mean, really, I just say my job is to go around the state and invite people to wreck their lives. You're, that invitation is bringing in, uh, it's just bringing in some challenges. So we started to realize we need to do a better job of supporting the families that are entering into foster care and adoption. So we started what was called the James 127 email list. We said, what if, um, what if Christians were just willing to receive an email anytime one of our local agencies had a need? So that first year that we did that in 2010, we had 30 people through the local churches sign up. And every time that an agency needed a crib for a new foster family or they needed mattresses for a bio family trying to get their kids back or grandma who was fostering her grandchildren needed a gas card to be able to get to appointments, we could send that email out to those Christ followers in Center County and they immediately responded and were able to bless those families. And one of my favorite uses of that list was... Um, a bio mom who was trying to get her son back who needed a new friend group. And the agency said, Can you, is there a church that, you're, that would live close to this, this bio mom? And we were able to find a church that would wrap around her. She got her son back, and now her son and her are able to be part of that community and rewrite their story. So that James 127 list grew from 30 people to 550 Christ followers in Center County ready and willing to respond to needs. About a year and a half, almost two years ago now, I felt like God was starting to say to us, it was time to take what God was doing in Center County to the other 66 counties in the state of Pennsylvania. And, uh, and as, as your pastor said in January, went full-time uh, with this as, as my job. And, and one of the things that about a year ago as we started thinking about this is we learned about a program called Gateway. Gateway um, is an online portal where you as a volunteer can go register. It takes two minutes to register. And when you register, you're just saying, I'm willing to receive an email anytime an Erie County social worker has a need. They place that there. You'll get an email. If you can meet the need, you just click the button, and it'll connect you with that social worker. And now we have Christ followers being connected to biological families who are trying to get their kids back or foster families that need the support and caseworkers that absolutely need the support. So we just started to say, what if? What if there was at least 550 people in all 67 Pennsylvania counties willing to volunteer and be a part of Gateway? That would be 35,000 Christ followers ready to respond to needs in the state of Pennsylvania anytime a local agency had a need. Right now, God's moved faster than I ever imagined he would. In the last year, we've officially launched in 10 counties and uh, Gateway is being used in 12. Jess is going to come talk a little bit more about what that looks like here in just a minute in Erie County. The other part, though, that, that we started to say is how, how can we get around a foster family when a new child comes into their home? 90% of foster families drop out before two years. If they have a wraparound support team, 90% of them are still doing it two years later. A complete switch. When my wife and I had a sibling group of three dropped off at our home about three years ago, a sibling group of four, when somebody brought a lasagna that night, praise Jesus. We were just trying to figure out where the toothbrushes were and like, like these kids are bouncing off the walls and we had to get them to four different locations the next day. Transportation is much needed in that. So if you agree to be a part of a care team, um, 
I, what we want to, our vision is to say, what if we got every foster family had a team of at least five people wrapping around them? And when you volunteer to be on a care team, you're saying, I'm willing to bring a meal one time per month. So that foster family gets a meal one time a, a week. Maybe you'll be willing to help with child care so that foster family can actually get out on a much-needed date or shop, grocery shop, without six kids in tow. That is the armor bearer. Not everybody can foster or adopt, but everybody can do something. You can meet physical needs through a mattress that you have in your house through the Gateway program. You can get on a care community and serve a local foster family by providing a meal or helping do laundry or mow a yard or provide transportation. And those are engineered care communities. If you volunteer to be on a, on a care team, we ask you to go through a one-hour volunteer orientation. It just kind of helps connect you then, and then we'll get you on a team. And each team has a team leader. That team leader communicates with the foster family and uh, organizes things through an online database that just kind of lets that team know how to be praying for that foster family that week. It lets you know what day of the month would be your day to deliver the meal or if that foster family has any other needs. You'll find out on the, in the, uh, the hub later that uh, you can pick up uh, a handout that has some QR codes or in the website for the Pennsylvania Orphan Care Alliance website where you can go and register to be a volunteer for either of those. So that's kind of two parts of our mission. We just started to say, what if, what if there was at least 550 people in all 67 Pennsylvania counties using Gateway and ready and willing to serve anytime a local agency has a tangible need? Then we said, what if, what if all 500 Pennsylvania school districts had at least three foster families willing to foster uh, sibling groups and or children over the age of eight years old? Right now, there's almost no waiting foster families in any school district in Pennsylvania willing to take sibling groups and children over the age of eight. Jess is going to tell you more about that in a minute. So we said, what if? There's at least three in all 500 Pennsylvania Christ followers just stepping up, willing to, willing to wreck their lives. And then what if all 1,500 of those foster families had a support team wrapped around them? And then finally, we said, what if there was at least 39 churches in all 67 Pennsylvania counties willing to work together on this issue? We just picked 39 because that's how many were working together in state, uh, Center County at the time. What if 39 churches here in Erie County were willing to work together to rewrite the story for Pennsylvania's kids? There are 14,000 kids in foster care. There are 14,000 churches. This is a non-issue. There's 2,000 children in the state of Pennsylvania right now waiting to be adopted. Their parental rights have already been terminated, and so many of them will wait five to seven years and never find a forever family. 1,100 children in Pennsylvania this year will age out of the system, and if they age out with no forever family, 80% of those boys will be in jail before two years. 70% of the girls will be pregnant and signal, single before they're age 21. But if we get out from under the pomegranate tree and we start to walk across the battle lines and we invite them into our story, if we're willing to say, you're mine, I know you're going to wreck my life, but you're not going to be able to get me out of it. Two years ago, our son had to have a brain tumor surgery. 
he started to have some seizures and eventually found out that it was a, a brain tumor. And it was one of those moments as we were sitting in the Philadelphia hospital. He was coming out of the anesthesia and his mom and I were sitting on either side of that bed holding his hand. He knew we were going to be there. Where I was reminded there's still 2,000 kids in Pennsylvania and if that was them, they would have had no parent. They would have been sent back to a group home or some other spot to recover on their own with no forever family. Church, it will cost us something. It will wreck our lives. But oh my. What we see God doing on the other side of some of these kids from hard stories as the church wakes up and walks into this issue makes a huge difference. I've said a lot. Jess, I'm going to invite you to come and tell us a little bit more about what this story looks like right here in, um, in Erie County. And uh, I'm excited that Jess has been uh, an active participant in engaging Erie County for a long time. And we're thrilled that uh, she was actually who invited us to come and start rallying the churches and the agencies here and has just uh, joined the staff for the Pennsylvania Orphan Care Alliance as the Erie County Coordinator. She is your local expert on all the stuff that we just talked about. So, um, Good morning, everybody. I am so, so very thankful to be here. You absolutely have no idea how long I have been praying for us to be able to have this conversation. Um, I just wanted to share a couple local statistics. Um, some of these are, well, actually, most of these are, are recent here. So... Um, there are 20% of, of all the foster homes in Erie County, 20% of them are open to take sibling groups of children over the age of eight. 35% um, of the children currently in foster care are five years and under. Um, one of a recent, a recent story that we have is um, there was a sibling group of five. Um, the uh, ages were 10 up to 17. Um, they could not find a home for any of these children. And unfortunately, because there was no home, these children had to go to shelter. Um, there are local shelters in Erie County that will take the children. So it's like a group home setting um, that they unfortunately had to go to until they can find a home. Um, another one is I had had a conversation with one of the agency workers. Um, so in Erie County, um, there are five foster care licensing agencies. So if you're a foster parent, um, there are certain agencies that will help you become that and to, to certify you to be able to take care of children from hard places. And I was having a, a conversation with her, and she was sharing that um, this last week she had placed several children with that particular agency. Um, but she was um, very actually happy about the fact that she was able to place children from Erie County in Erie County homes and said how thankful she was that she could provide a safe and loving home for them here in their county because unfortunately this week she also got calls from two other counties um, so one from Mercer County and one from I think Allegheny County so when a child comes into foster care and there is not a home in their county they start to call other age or the other counties. And so um, we in Erie County had a home for these children, but those children were removed from their county. Um, and so when they go for reunification visits, um, you know, it'll be quite the drive. So um, just the fact that, that she was able to place in Erie County was, was very encouraging for her. Um, on a, 
on a, on a, a, a numbers basis, Vince mentioned numbers uh, in Pennsylvania. In Erie County, um, there are, uh, we average 400 children in foster care. Um, as of May, this past May, there were actually 410 children in foster care, and those ages range from newborn up to 21. Um, so yeah, so those are some just local statistics. Uh, we understand that not everyone is called to, to be a foster parent. Not everyone can be a foster parent and open their home. Um, but as Vince has shared, there are so many things that the church can do and so many ways that people can get involved. And um, I, I just, I appreciate you guys having us. And, and I am, I'm, I'm a foster parent. Um, I see so many familiar faces. And uh, um, thank you so much for your heart and your willingness to serve our children and to serve children in need. Um, in Erie County, we also have this great uh, organization called Foster Erie. Um, Allie is our representative for Foster Erie, and she was going to share just a, a more recent story that happened with some of the kiddos that she actually took into her home. Um, so, here we go. Good morning. Um, so, a few months ago, we got a call. There were three kids coming into care. Their ages were five, seven, and eight. I only had two beds, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. And I said, I can take two but please try to find a home that can keep these kids together. They were not able to do that. So I, I had the two kids, and I, I'm out in Waterford, so I had these kids out in Waterford. The third sibling went to Meadville, and their school was all the way up here in the city of Erie. So again, like Jess is saying, not only are they, are they taken from their biological family, they're being taken from, from their, their area of life, and then they have to travel all the way up to school, and they're separated from their siblings, and I can't tell you how many times my, the kids that were in my home had just meltdowns because they missed their brother. So, so and Foster Area does a lot of great things. Um, there's a table in the back. Uh, foster Area is here on behalf of all the foster care agencies. Um, so if becoming a foster parent is something that you might be interested in, um, please see Allie. Um, also, we, Foster Area is on social media, um, and there's something that will come in this fall uh, called the Placement Bag Drive. Every child that enters foster care through Foster Area uh, receives a placement bag and a fleece tie blanket um, that gives them those essential things, those comfort items that they might need within the first 20 out, 24 hours into a new home. So, um, is there anything else? Okay. I'll Please call. be sure to see him in the back. You have some questions. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I'll just end by asking again, how big is your God? I don't know if or what God's stirring in your heart this morning, but it is your stewardship responsibility. Galatians 6 5 says, We are each responsible for our own conduct. You're either someone who makes things happen or watches things happen, or maybe you have no idea what's happening. But those who make things happen are the people who will change the world one lifetime at a time. And on behalf of Erie County's kids, I just want to implore you to make some things happen. It will make a difference in the life of a vulnerable child. I'm so encouraged by what real life is doing already and engaging in this game and the kids that you have the chance to serve in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Let me just pray. God, I thank you for loving us, for being willing to wreck your life by entering coming from heaven down to earth, bringing your kingdom from up there down here. God, would you help us to have the same kind of faith that Jonathan and his armor bearer had, 
we'd be willing to get off of the sidelines. And God, even if it's just a little whisper in our, in our hearts right now from you, would you help us to take the next step? Give us the courage to tiptoe to get off the sidelines. We look forward to what it is that you're going to do through real life, through each individual here, through, through this county. God, we pray that uh, even a year from now, we'll have so many more God stories worth writing home about. That your name will become famous here in Erie because Christ followers had so much faith to keep their eyes on you, that the story has just been rewritten in this region. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for this opportunity to lean into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Vince, would you mind just hanging out here for a second? So I want you to know that as the pastor here and, and as God's leader for us is that you're not being served by a Saul today, but by a Jonathan that we are not going to, we're not going to lay under the pomegranate. Over the last year, this will be the second, so I don't know if you feel anything, but, so I was talking to you briefly that we might be heading to Maine, because there was a just a, a guy that I met just out of the blue that, man, there's just this connection, and kind of what's coming, I know, for the rest of my life, that Jay is going to be a part of that some way, somehow, and I think that day, Vince, is what I felt with you, and obviously, you to be here today, and, and willing to make this crazy drive as part of your vacation, and to bless us, that I feel that there is going to be a connection, and, and I, what, I, what I want to challenge you in real life is that, that we are going to pray in these next 30 days, I heard you say that today, for your life. That we're going to find one family here in real life and that there are going to be at least five or more families that will center around. That's what got me that day, that 90% of foster families fail because they have no community. They have no family. Listen, if you're, if you're OG real life, if there's one family. So what Vince was talking about, listen, I know this would wreck your life right now, right? Turn your world upside down. But maybe there's going to be one family, but we need more than one family. We need those five or seven that are going to say, we're going to help you, and we're going to change the life, hopefully, of one child. And so, Jess, we're going to connect more, and perhaps, perhaps God will let us, along with some other churches I know that you're talking to, be a spark in this area. Listen, what gets me, church, is that we're radical about the abortion issue. And then we do almost virtually nothing once an action has taken place. And I just, I feel like there's something here within us that obviously through what we're already trying to do, that there's more that we can be doing. You know, some of you, we've told our quick story is that, you know, my wife, her older sister was born just a few months. She's just a few months older than than my wife. They, my my mother-in-law got pregnant with Debbie just almost immediately after the birth of a, a, a daughter. And for a while, my mother-in-law was really contemplating abortion for my wife. She's like, I, I just, you know, just mentally and all, all that stuff that goes along with it. But she, at that point, she was Catholic and just had this, they, that doesn't happen. And so part of Debbie's story, we haven't really told it a lot, is some of the angst that Debbie has grown up with, realizing, you know, I, 
maybe I wouldn't have been here because of what took place in that challenge, but but my mom came to her senses and as a family, and, and so it kind of hits to us that, that there is a spot for us to step into. And so what I want to ask you and maybe some of our families that are even watching online is that you'll pray with us and pray with me over these next 30 days. Maybe some of you will email me, whether it's for more information, and we'll talk to Jess, or we'll talk to Allie, or I don't know what all these next steps. I know that when I sat in this meeting and I hear this stuff that these people deal with on a daily basis, my mind explodes. Like how they do or try to even do what a step. And hopefully we're going to step into one of this role with the Alliance. And we're going to take some, hopefully, lead or at least partnership. And we're going to see where it goes. And so, church, I want you to know that as a church, I'd rather be in the valley asking God, perhaps we can do something versus sitting under a pomegranate. Can somebody say amen with me today? So listen, I don't know about you, but I think John's going to have to replenish a few Kleenex boxes in the church this week. Like, I was down there, like, losing it. But I feel my heart that Vince, that this is a partnership. Hopefully, I have your phone number now. So you are going to get texts and calls from me, just even on a casual, friendly basis. Because I just feel that there's a heart connection that here's a guy that's willing to step out up in the days ahead. How can we not? So perhaps God can use our connection and our relationship in the days ahead. So church, let's believe that God has something more in this direction for real life today, all right? Some of you might have stuff. Some of you might have a spare bedroom. Some of you may have a heart that is going to say it's been moved today. But I got to find out and I got to do more to help rescue these kids. You know, Amy has talked on numerous occasions when a lot of these kids show up for track camp, their stuff is thrown in a garbage bag. Am I right, Amy? They're foster parents, and I'm not disparaging any of that. It's just I know when they show up. We have to have a, a doctor and a nurse here to do a lice inspection because of the condition of how these kids show up to go to camp. We can do better. We can do better. And so let's believe for that today. Amen? Amen. Come on, stand with me. We're just going to pray one more time. Ali, Jess, thanks so much for being here and sharing your heart. Hopefully, we're all, we're kind of family anyway, right? So we're, let's be better family and let's, let's make something more happen. Amen. Father, we thank you today for these connections that rattle us, that shake us, that, that have this desire to change us and the world around us. God, we love kids. We've started the, the early learning center to bless kids in our community. They have a place where they can come so that they can learn about Jesus, so that we can give them an opportunity. And man, what a powerful force that has been over these last 10 years. And so God, this could be an opportunity to create even more through the ministry of real life to be able to reach these kids for the cause of the cross. So Lord, this might be earth shattering for some. This might be some heartstrings. This might be... I don't know what, what this is happening or what's going on. So God, I just pray the Holy Spirit would just touch all of our lives that in these next 30 days that I'll get some emails, maybe some personal contacts that just going to say, Pastor Jim, I need to know more. This is crazy. I don't know how, I don't know how we could do this. I don't know if we could do this, but we got to take some kind of step. And God, we just ask that this will be something in the years to come. Lord, that we are going to see much fruit being born. That we're not going to hear wicked servant. You've been given much, but you didn't do anything with it. That, God, you'll help us influence this generation and the generations to come. So bless Vince and Beth.
the ministry of the PA Care Alliance and these as they begin to spring up over all of these counties in Erie. God, let Erie be a searchlight. Let it be the lighthouse to, as long with these other counties, to make this kind of impact because so many God people are involved in this movement. So God, we pray over this and we pray over our church family, those that have come to hear from you. God, use us and capitalize on what we have heard this week to do something for the cause of the gospel this week, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.